All right, I got some check marks. I think we're good. And I can see people starting to appear in the audience. So everyone, today I'm here with Jackie Russo. We're going to be talking about branding. We're going to be talking about branding in small business. Let's, uh, let's kick this off with some branding of my own. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Are you thinking of growing your business or beginning a journey into entrepreneurship? Take a shortcut to success by buying an existing and profitable business the right way. Visit businessbuyeradvantage.com and learn more about my online training, group coaching, and consulting services designed to help you win. Awesome. I'm really excited because uh, we are going to be having a conversation today about branding and branding and marketing are some of the biggest topic spheres I know in the world of business. People are always talking about this. But uh, Jackie, you and I have had some conversations about some of the particular uh, facets of branding and marketing that are going to really apply to the interests of this audience. In particular, we're going to be talking about uh, branding as it relates to transactions and things like that today. It's going to be a really great show. Uh, to kick things off, though, why don't we give you a chance to introduce yourself for, for people that don't know you? Sure thing. Thanks, David. Jackie Russo. I am the co-founder and CEO of Brand Russo, which is a branding agency. We work primarily in the B2B space uh, with companies across the country. Uh, we serve clients in about 300 markets uh, right now. And the company is in its 23rd year, so I've been doing this for a minute. Um, I, I grew up in Louisiana, and after college at the University of Louisiana, go Cajuns. I moved to Los Angeles. I, I worked for CAA representing actors and actresses. I uh, started a production company and did product development and marketing there and then went to work for HSNI as it became an entity acquiring Home Shopping Network, Ticketmaster, USA Network, Lycos City Search, Silver King Broadcasting, a couple of other things. So I got to really work in rebranding and understanding what it's like to unite all those different cultures at create a holding company and all of the marketing challenges around that. And those are some pretty big, well-known names. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And when I returned home to Louisiana, I worked for a regional uh, marketing agency. I worked in-house as a regional marketing director and then started this company. So I feel like I've had that experience from small to large, local, regional to national. And so it really, I think, brings me a set of uh, pieces of expertise into what I do in consulting with my clients. That's great because, of course, a lot of the, the the vast majority of the people in my audience are either small business owners or they aspire to be one day uh, through doing an acquisition or getting something going on their own. And so, a lot of the times when we hear about things like a marketing agency, a lot of people probably start to think immediately, "Wow, that's going to be expensive." Uh, like, just give me an idea. Like when you're talking about. Lycos and home shopping, like oh, I what mean, kind of what kind of budgets are we talking about in those places? That's crazy money. Uh, most companies, you know, you're going to get out of it what you invest in it, and so investment into marketing is really needs to be looked at from a dollars and cents perspective, and from a time and energy perspective. 
to be clear. And so whether you have an internal marketing team or you combine that with an external agency, it's not just the dollars you're going to spend. Do you have the resources in your own time and capacity? And are you willing to invest those resources? Because you've got to be involved. There is no set it and forget it in marketing these days. Mm. There's no, I'm going to create a TV ad campaign and let it run for five years or um, I'm going to create a series of 45 print ads. I'm looking at you, Absolute Vodka, and let those print ads run in magazines for the next decade with very little attention to it because it's just an iconic campaign and everybody reads magazines. The world has changed too much. So yeah. you're going to get out of it what do you put into it. And yes, it can be anywhere from tens of thousands to millions, but for the most part, it's in the tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's going to be dollars allocated to in research, to uh, the investment in a plan. Just like if you're going to build a house, you need to have a blueprint for that so that you and the contractor are on the same page of how it's going to look. And are you going to draw that plan yourself? No, you're going to hire an architect. So you've got to do things the right way with your marketing, just like you would any other aspect of your life or business. Uh, you know what doesn't cost anything though, Jackie? What's that? Hitting the like button, just like Victor over Nottingham did. He hit the like button. And if you're listening or watching live, please do that because it helps the algorithm. Um, what you've just explained uh, reminds me of a story uh, because when I started my career back at the end of the 90s, I was working with the Yellow Pages. And so I would go and visit the owners and managers of small, medium-sized businesses. And I remember one day this guy said to me, because I was trying to get him to set up his ad for the year. and And he said to me, you know, with the internet growing the way it is, one day all advertising will be on the internet and it's all free and we'll never have to have the burden of these expensive yellow page ads. And this guy was spending 30 minutes with me every year to take care of this one thing. And of course, fast forward, yes, most advertising is done online now, but I know so many small business owners that actually have a person on staff just to manage social media. And this is what you're talking about with respect to resources. It, it may not necessarily be writing a check for advertising spend, but the, the cost in time, effort, and energy is certainly there regardless of, of how big your business is going to be. Right. I, I love the thought of your friend, uh, your former client, whose name probably started with a series of A's so he could be at the top of the alphabet. Now he's trying to configure how to do some search engine optimization tweaks so he can get to the top of that list. You know, as things change, they stay the same. And so it's really about how do we best capitalize on the system? And I think to do that, it's not trying to rig it to add more A's or numbers in front of your name, but it's knowing your target audience. That's always yes. going to be the best way to build your brand is knowing who you're trying to talk to. And understanding the language they speak, the type of words, the way they phrase things, et cetera. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, let's, let's talk about rebranding. Because this is something that comes up a lot when people are looking at a business and of course it's like John Smith's plumbing or, or whatever. And it's a, it's a long lived successful business. But as soon as John Smith leaves, there's this concern or worry that, you know, the brand or the, the business could suffer, or perhaps it's not going to be able to grow into something, you know, sort of more notable or iconic as long as it's tied to that individual person's name. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about rebranding from scratch and some of the dangers and you know ideas that people need to be thinking about? 
Sure. Uh, the first thing you've got to think about is, is what's spurring that. Are you rebranding just for fun? Are you rebranding because what you created a few years ago, you didn't invest properly then? And so now you're having to fix some things, which is going to cost you even more. Um, if John Smith is no longer with us, either on this earth or at least in the company, I, I will mourn his loss. Uh, but then the question becomes, do you have to change the name because John Smith is no longer involved? No, not at all. There are example after example after example of very large companies who are very successful, who are still named after the founder and the founder mm. is no longer directly involved in that company. In my own industry, the first one that comes to mind is Ogilvy. And so David Ogilvy, kind of the father of advertising, he hasn't been walking in those doors for decades, but the right. company still bears his name in homage of the work that he did and, and the reputation that they have. So really assess your reasons for change. Um, because it's a very expensive endeavor and I don't think anyone should do it unless there are clear business reasons for the investment in change being more valuable than the investment in growing what you have right now. So, so let's explore that because I think this is very interesting. And, and as you say this with Ogilvy, I'm thinking of all kinds of other companies, like even Heinz, you know, the ketchup people, right? right? I mean, there was a person named Heinz at one point. Sure. Walgreens. And, and, yeah. All, all this stuff. And so, so you, you, you buy a business and it's got a person's name on it. Um, how do you go about making the decision about how you might want to, to sort of take control of the story, let's say? Because, because now it's not a personality-driven business anymore if that person isn't necessarily there. Like, do you take that person and create them into some kind of fictionalized person that kind of speaks for the business now? We can. Or, like, can tell me, take me through that thinking. Well, so let's start with Wendy's uh, burgers. You know, Dave yeah. Thomas was, I mean, his name wasn't Wendy, but it was named after his daughter, Wendy. And so Dave Thomas was in the ads. Now, did I think Dave Thomas was actually at the Johnson Street Lafayette, Louisiana location flipping my burger? No, I assumed Dave Thomas was in the corporate tower somewhere. Uh, but so Wendy's has gone through many iterations of its marketing campaign, stayed rooted in the stories around Wendy, and then evolved past that you know, a few years ago. So my question would be, is the founder that the company is named after that you're now buying this company, are they still involved in the day-to-day -day servicing of this business? So will anyone notice that they are gone or not? Mm -hmm. Because if you're buying um, John's plumbing and John is the plumber, so you're really buying John and John's client list, how much is that going to change when people realize John's not the one at the house anymore showing up to fix the clog? So yeah. yeah, you need to start with that from a business operational standpoint, what is really changing with this, this change in ownership? And then how does that affect the name? And then look at the marketing as the second piece of that. Uh, what domain names do you own? Because if you're changing the name, you're changing the domain name. And if your website, the website of this company is performing well, and the domain name has some length of time to it, which is one of the mm -hmm. Google criteria, then why are you throwing that away? Is this yeah. an ego-driven choice? Or ha the, the real reason to change a name is because the consumer base has evolved. Your target audience has changed. The services you provide, products and services you provide have changed. Those are the reasons to change names. So, so, well, let me let me highlight this one example that I see all the time. You know, at, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken became KFC. 
Correct. And so, and so was, is that because they were trying to get away from that fried word that maybe got a negative connotation associated with it? Yes, absolutely. And then sometimes it's truly for abbreviation. Federal Express became FedEx. And so, you know, you've got to look at um, the name changes. Is it because of a change in consumer? Kentucky Fried Chicken fried became a bad word. Yeah. And so they changed their name because their target audience changed what they wanted. Now they still want to eat that delicious goodness, but they don't want to think of it as fried. They want to try to pretend like they're going to KFC for a salad, which we all know they're not. They're getting mashed potatoes and gravy. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and being from Louisiana, I would think they should actually go to Popeye's, but you know, that's a different story for a different day. Um, and so when federal express changed their name, it's because the consumer called it FedEx. We did that. We started abbreviating it. We called it FedEx. And so they adapted to our uh, change of their name. So, well, this is interesting because what, what you're talking about is identifying where the goodwill in the company resides. And this is something, a conversation I have with a lot of people that are doing deals. You know, is the goodwill of the company the fact that, they, you know, there are a small number of customers that deal with John Smith, you know, for example, um, or are there really... This is a really this diversified customer base who never expects to talk to John Smith because it's such a big company. They always have a customer service person or they know some other technician is going to show up. And so they don't have to worry about it as much. And, and, you know, really this gets back to understanding what is the business? How critical is that owner? Um, and so the perception, I mean, I get people all the time who will say to me, you know, this business has been around for 200 years. It's got this really solid reputation. There's all these reasons why this business is valuable. But if the financial performance isn't there, what I have to explain to them is, look, your business may be around for 200 years, but if the brand really had value, you should be extracting greater margins out of what you're doing. And what I like to highlight is the example of Coca-Cola versus a, you know, a store brand soda, where it's essentially they're both colored flavored fizzy water, but Coca-Cola can sell for more because there are people who believe that it, they want that more and they're willing to pay more. And that's the true value in a brand that really has some, some goodwill attached to it, correct? Yes. And uh, let me give you an example. So we worked with a dairy uh, company out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana called Kleinpeter. Long time family dairy, regional, um, very successful. They wanted to break into a new market. And when we went and did the analysis of who bought milk in this market, it was primarily women. It was primarily moms for families, 90%. Mm -hmm. And we realized that they bought milk for these reasons. It was, or the, the choice they made in milk was these reasons, uh, the least expensive store brand. So that's the one they're buying because it's the cheapest. It's the store brand, whether whatever store it is, doesn't matter. It's the least expensive one. They're getting it. They're going done. Heritage. It's the one they've always bought. It's the one that their mom bought, their grandmother bought. It's the community choice of milk. It's the, there's a local dairy in their minds in most markets, not actually local dairy anymore, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, health. So I'm going to pay more, but I'm going to buy the one that is organic the one that mm. is, you know, has all of these health benefits. So I'm going to pay twice as much in most cases, but it's okay because I'm buying the healthy one. Right. There's no fourth category. And so our client was not the store brand, was not heritage in this new market they were trying to break into, was not organic, 
So um, how are we going to get them to buy this milk? And so that's when we talk about the target audience. You've got to go talk to the target audience, find out why they make the choice they make now, and then figure out how you're going to get them to change a habit right. that they don't want to change, spend more that they don't want to spend to buy something that they don't necessarily think is better than the thing they've been buying their whole lives. Well, this is why we tell people to buy businesses instead of starting them. I mean, the Correct. challenge that you're identifying is exactly the problem that any startup would have. Correct. And so, and so what did you end up doing? Uh, we created a campaign called Klein Peter Kids, and we isolated and identified um, kids who are outstanding in middle school in the following areas of arts, activism, athletics, um, and academics, and rewarded them and ran entire campaigns around acknowledging those kids and their extraordinary efforts, had the school support it, had the store support it, um, created social media around it, their families loved it and shared it, and we acquired 19% market share in six months. So you managed to push your way into that hometown community category? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Well, that's really smart. That's really smart. It was the only option unless the client was going to raise their price, uh, lower their price, which wasn't going to happen, which I never want anybody to do. Why would I want you to mm -hmm. be less expensive or um, become this thing that they're not in terms of, you know, organic and all these other health benefits. So it was the only thing was to move into heritage. So, but we had to rapidly create generations of uh, branding is an emotional connection. So we can talk about the logo and the fact that the logo represents that emotional connection. But at the end of the day, you've got to give people an emotional reason to choose you. We don't think with our heads. We think with our hearts. We use our heads to justify the choice that our heart has made. Yeah. I, I had a conversation once with a, with a McDonald's franchisee uh, who was talking to me a little bit about some of the conversations they have amongst each other about certain things they try to lock up in their communities, like sponsorship of, you know, sporting events and, and you know, for, for youth and things like this. And, and that's exactly it. It's, it's because they want to intertwine the brand with these community things that are going on and, and, you know, create that positive association. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, we've got, uh, we've got some more people that are making comments in here. Kevin says, good afternoon from Lakeland, Florida. Hey, Kevin, how are you, hey, Kevin. To you today? And we have, uh, Sean Henry says, Hey, how are you hey. today? Another comment from Victor says, great point about changing people's habits. It's a challenge, of course. And as we continue, if you've got any comments out there, just please pop them in there. We've, we've got uh, a few more things we want to talk about. One of the other things on my list uh, that I wanted to talk about today, and I think we've already gotten into was creating value. And, and you would, you address that in the dairy story. Um, when we are thinking about the brand of the company, um, obviously a, a, a complete change, you already highlighted how, how difficult this can be is one thing, but another thing would be to have a goal for some kind of transformation over time, you know, setting new goals for where it needs to be. And I'm, I'm guessing this is probably going to be a little bit less risky, but if the goal that I have is to create more value, I mean, what I tell people is they've got to have higher cash flow. Like you create more value through higher cash flow. And that just means you have to sell your product for higher or a price, or you have to sell more of it. And clearly branding and marketing is tied very closely to both of those strategies. So if my goal is to increase the value of my company, what are the things I need to be thinking about from the point of view of brand? 
Well, you've got to think first and foremost about how you're going to do one of those two things. Um, if you're going to raise your price, what value are you bringing to me to make me willing to pay more? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to pay more just because it costs you more. I'm going to pay more because it gives me as the, the buyer more. And so how do you communicate that? What I find in messaging that happens so often is that companies talk about themselves, how long they've been in business, how many employees, all their product line, all the work that they do. Don't care, don't care, don't care, and don't care. So how do you t- make me care about your message? Make your message about me. That's what I mm-hmm. care about. And so tell me a story about me. Make it something that I'm going to connect with because then I'm going to be willing to you know, run through a brick wall for you. The other part of that equation in terms of expense, controlling ex- or selling more, let's do that first. Um, selling more, people think it's reaching more people. It's not. It's better knowing your target audience and reaching them more often. That's how you actually increase the quantity of what you're going to sell. If you try to go from reaching 1,000 people to reaching 10,000 people, you're just spending more, but you're not connecting with them any better or giving them any better reason to choose you. I, I You know, I, it, it's frustrating how I, I run into this every three years or every two years. It's whenever my cell phone thing comes up because I finished paying off the phone, right? Mm-hmm. And, and everyone goes through this. It's like, uh, the person you're, the company you're with never wants to give you any kind of deal, but all the other companies are bending over backwards, incurring these huge customer acquisition costs to give you these great deals. And then when you call your provider to say you're moving over or you do the switch or whatever, then they want to argue and fight about keeping you, but <laughs> but they never make you a good deal in advance. And and it blows me away because, you know, all their, the whole industry is basically just jacking up their cost of customer acquisition. Correct. You know, one of the things that we really talk a lot about is the customer's buyer journey. And so that buyer's journey is vital. And it's not just how they come to your front door, although that does matter quite a bit. It's what happens after they say yes to you. So we talk about awareness, knowledge, and consideration. I've become aware that I have a problem. I seek knowledge of how I'm going to solve this problem. I analyze and consider pros and cons of my different options. Now I've made a selection. Okay. Most companies act like that's the end. I was chosen. I was not chosen. I won. I didn't win. We're done. However, the most important aspect to me is what happens after the selection is made, because the very next step is satisfaction. Mm. Satisfaction is not, I'm going to send you a survey after you've just bought me and decide whether or not you like me or not. That's not satisfaction. Satisfaction is, am I living up to or exceeding the expectations that I set. Because if you as the customer feel like I am exceeding those expectations, you're satisfied. Um, Apple does this better than anyone else. When you buy a a product directly from Apple, especially online, uh, they are gonna tell you it's gonna take however many days or weeks or months to get to you, depending on when in their sales cycle you're buying it. I'm an Mm -hmm. early adopter. I'm going to put in an order right when they announce the new lineup of the device. I I kind of, for my job, I have to, but also I really want to. So I'm putting in the order for it. I'm going to get it. It's going to tell me six weeks. I don't want to wait six weeks, but okay, that's how long it's going to take. I'm waiting my six weeks. Then I get an update a day or two later. It's only four weeks. Well, now I'm excited. Now you and I both know it's four weeks the whole time, right? And then the next week I get an update. It's been shipped. It's now going to arrive in two weeks. So far ahead of schedule. 
Well, the six. Are, are you and saying the, that Apple are manipulative liars, Jackie? No, I am not. I am saying they understand how to um, exceed my expectations. Okay. They know how to make me happy because they know that if they tell me six weeks and then it becomes two weeks, I am thrilled. If they told me that it was going to be one week and it's two weeks, I am angry. It's still two weeks either way. You, you know what's what's interesting about this whole timing thing is I've seen it work in the opposite direction too. So I've seen companies, for example, uh, swimming pool builders who will take bookings for swimming pools to be built over the course of the summer and they will give people a target date, but then they will tell them because of weather and other things that are unforeseen, our schedule ends up getting bumped and delayed. And what they do is they're constantly letting people know the amendments to their construction date. They're always touching base. They're maintaining that expectation or, or they're, they're making sure people are informed because the worst thing that can happen is the date of your pool comes up and you never hear from anybody. Nobody ever shows up. Correct. And three, four weeks go by and you start to wonder if you gave a deposit to like some scam artist or something. Correct. Right? So it's yeah. communication both ways. As long as there's clear communication and the expectation is set and reset, you're going to be fine. In And then when you do that, so you've established satisfaction, then you have to continue to provide that. Um, Victor's right. It's about connecting and building a relationship. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so now I can start to establish some loyalty. I can start to build some trust. I can build a relationship. I can build that connection because I, I have been, my expectations have been met. That's going to lead to advocacy. Advocacy is other people saying, Hey, this is the right choice. You need this, which expands your awareness. So awareness mm -hmm. to advocacy is a loop that just keeps going. So, I mean, we're getting into something else that I wanted to talk about today, which is the uh, strategic branding plan. People yes. will think of branding. They'll think of, you know, well, we need a name, a logo. We need a, a slogan. We need a, maybe a mission statement. We have to have some other sort of foundational phraseology that is going to define who we are. But, um, but when you and I were talking about this earlier, you were kind of saying how this branding plan has to push through to every aspect of the touch base with the customers. We're getting into a little bit about that now. We're talking about the story with Apple, but you were even mentioning things like the way the telephone is answered. Like, like mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about this because how do you do this with clients? Like, is, is there a certain framework that you're using to make sure that you don't leave any part of this untouched? There is. Um, and it comes from a book. He said, she said, um, that I wrote with my partner, Michael, and it's, um, explains our process razor branding because you've got to cut through the clutter to make that connection. So it's gotta be razor sharp Four core elements. Focus. Who are we talking to? Demographics, psychographics, language, pain points, everything you can know about them, who they're currently choosing. The second thing is promise why they should choose you. How are you mm -hmm. different from the others? Humans are a herd species. We're pack animals. And so we are, um, do that for a sense of safety, just like animals in the wild. But when you can step out of the pack and you can shine a bright light and say, Hey, here I am, pick me, choose me. Here's a really good reason for it. Here's how I can make your life better. Here's the problem I can solve for you. That'll get you noticed. That'll get you chosen. And so that's your brand promise. That's how you're different from the competitors. They all have overlap. You have to fill the gap. The third piece is connection. This is why you, what's the message? How do you use their language, their pain points, their challenges, and position yourself as a guide who can help solve those problems? The fourth piece 
is where and when the messages go so that the target audience sees them enough times that they can be open to them because we have those filters. And so our filter blocks out everything that's not directly relevant to us. If it doesn't um, involve our own name or invoke our um, fight or flight, then we are able to completely ignore it if it's not directly relevant to where we are right now. I tell this story all the time um, that I uh, was surprised to come home from our honeymoon uh, to find that we were expecting. And so 10 months after our wedding, we had our first baby. Um, The next year was number two. The next year was number three. The next year was number four. So on our fifth anniversary, we had had four kids. Very exciting, very blessed, very appreciative. Then they're all in high school at the same time. Didn't seem as much of a good idea then. Then they're all in college at the same time. Really didn't seem like as much of a good idea then. One has since graduated. Three more are lining up. Two to graduate in 24 and uh, one in 25. All of that to say, in those five years that I was having kids constantly, Everything was about babies. I saw babies everywhere. I saw pregnant people everywhere, strollers, um, swaddling things, clothes, best diapers. I knew all about baby gear and baby merch because I was in the baby mode. The human population is apparently dying off, and I have not seen a pregnant person or an ad for a pregnancy baby thing in 19 years, the age of my youngest. Do I think human race is actually dying? No. Um, do I think that those ads are no longer relevant to me? So I don't see them anymore. Yes. They are blocked by the filter because they have no bearing in my life. That's how all humans are. And so if you want to cut through that clutter, you've got to have the message right set up enough times, enough places that it's just sitting there waiting. And so once my filter opens, it can slide in. That's strategic brand planning. When we talk about all the touch points, you're right phone calls, signs. So if your company says, we are humans helping humans, we're all about the human touch. And I call your company and I get a voicemail that is not answered by a human. Or one of those directory trees, press one for this, press two for that. Sure. Sure. So every single touch point is a chance to make or break the brand. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. I agree. Um, We've got, uh, Mark says, hello from Arizona. Thanks for the great education. Thanks, Mark, for joining us today. Uh, We've got a comment here from Mike who says, who wants to ask, can returning customers returning year after year be assumed to be satisfied or should we never assume this? Well, I think it's a great question, Mike. Thank you. And when I think about return business, repeat customers, um, if you're the only game in town and there's nowhere else for them to go, I guess you could probably rest on your laurels a little bit, but you shouldn't uh, because you're only going to be able to keep them until the next person comes along that offers something a little cheaper, a little better, a little newer, a little fresher, a little something. So if you build that relationship with your target audience and you continue to supply their needs in the way that they need it, and you're checking in to make sure you're delivering that satisfaction to them, that's the only way to kind of feel comfortable that you're getting them what they need the way they need it and that they're going to stick around. You know, I've had these conversations before, you know, I'm not going to name the industry, but um, there's a city and uh, they have, uh, you know, six providers of a certain kind of service. Five of them have been acquired by the same uh, corporate owner. And so this company has basically kind of cornered the market in this community 
and have done all the things you would expect. They were raising their prices, they're cutting the hours, they're they're trying to, you know, squeeze maximum profitability out of this business. And you know, someone was asking my opinion, and I said, "Look, my opinion is is that they're creating pent up demand for new entrants, because the, the people that are on the other side of those transactions, more and more of them are becoming dissatisfied, but they don't have a choice. And so, as soon as that choice comes into the marketplace, it's going to be like a like a, a, a elastic band that's been tightening, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, a bunch of those customers are going to go to the new entrant, right?" Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And so I think that, you know, rather than play those games, um, you know, your best bet is to really be strategic with your brand planning. Know your target audience segment. And I don't care how big your company is. I don't care how many products and services that you provide. You're going to have one true great target audience segment, know them in and out. You can evolve and grow and plan and expand from there, but you've got to really know that for this product, it's this target audience for this service. It's this target audience. And so if you've got multiples, then you need to start evolving your product lineup to make sure you're creating that match. Um, because at the end of the day, the message is going to get lost in translation. If it's not directly relevant to me, my problems, my challenges. Yeah. Makes good sense. Um, one last topic that you and I discussed earlier that I'd like to bring up is the whole idea of branding at the holding company level. Sure. And so this is interesting because a lot of the times these companies, these hold codes will acquire many smaller companies and sometimes not in the same field. You know, sometimes they're in diverse different fields. And one of the reasons why they're acquiring them is because they, you know, are profitable cash flow generating things that we can assume have some value in their own brands. And so can you talk to us a little bit about how uh, sort of the, the holding company level should think about branding for themselves? Uh, or should they be hiding behind a weird corporate name that no one ever sees? Or, or is there value potentially in saying that, you know, John Smith's plumbing is now part of the whatever family? Right. It really depends on what you're trying to get out of it. If you're looking at a large holding company like a Procter and Gamble, um, they, I think, strike a good tone of it's a PNG company, real small down there at the bottom, because it gives them shareholder value and it allows them to leverage that. But you don't see them acquiring a Duracell and saying, hey, we already have Tide. We want you guys to play nice together and, and work off each other. Even though the same people buy batteries that also buy laundry detergent, those companies each had their own branding established. They had their own reputation. They had their own name, their own logos, their own identity, their own customer base. So why screw up a good thing? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's the way to look at it. When you're thinking about um, house of brands or branded house and that spectrum in between, you've got to really make a decision on what are you gaining by making these changes versus what are you going to lose? And, um, you know, I find that the most successful holding companies that we work with are the ones that are hands off. They don't okay. go in and muck it up. They, they let their individual uh, brands do their thing for their customers in, yep. you know, yeah. They bought okay. that company for a reason. Why are you going to go in and change things? So, so let me ask you this then, because um, I just went on a trip last week and uh, you know, while I was on the trip, I stayed in a hotel. And so I, I actually have a, a co-brand credit card, which is part of the Marriott's Bonvoy program. So I earn points for Marriott properties and they've got like, I don't know, I don't even know, 20, 30 different brands of hotel properties. 
but it's all under that one big umbrella and they share the loyalty program. So I was thinking a little bit about that while I was on my trip and I was thinking about how, you know, for example, they could launch a new hotel brand I've never heard of, but as soon as I see that I can earn Bonvoy points there, I guess that takes away a lot of the concern I might have about a new kind of property. Sure. And so you're talking about them launching something new, not acquiring an already established company that has its own thing going very well. So when but you're they talking about- too. Well, sure, sure, sure. But I think about with Marriott, I think about Moxie, for example, a new hotel chain that they launched. And we did um, some launch for them for their first uh, US-based location. We did the marketing for that and the grand opening. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. okay. Um, and so, you know, yes, we were able to leverage the Marriott machine to establish that Moxie is legit uh, because they're about Marriott. And so, you know, you've got that great connection happening there. If Marriott went and acquired something and the thing that they acquired um, was going to be benefiting from a relationship with Marriott, then I would make sure that those two things are connected somehow. But mm. chances are um, they're going to be acquiring something that's already successful in its own way. And so because it's successful in its own way, let's not muck it up. Well, uh, we got a question here from King Walter. You can see him there with his crown on. He says, what if they bought something for a discount due to negative market trends? So, so for example, what if there was a, a hotel chain that had somehow uh, gotten tarnished? Maybe they hadn't been reinvesting in their properties or something. Uh, and Marriott got a good deal buying them. My my guess would be is that they would make that make that business improve before they hitch their name to it. Correct. So yeah. it goes back to I'm buying John Smith plumbing. Whether you're buying a billion dollar hotel chain or two guys in a truck plumbing company, at the end of the day, when you're acquiring something that's already established, you need to understand your target audience and what the brand is. The And I mean that in the sense of the emotional connection, the reputation. What are you acquiring? Does it have a great reputation? Does it have good Google reviews? Do people love it and they're loyal to it? Well, then you keep John Smith's name on it because that's what you're buying is John Smith's reputation, even if John's no longer making the plumbing calls. If you're buying something that has an awful reputation, then what are you buying? Are you buying infrastructure? Yeah. Are you buying Coca-Cola's recipes? What are you buying? And then that will tell you what you need to keep or change moving forward. It's it's a great comment because uh, I will sometimes meet business buyers who found a company and they'll say, this is a great opportunity because the, the margins in this company are lower than industry standard. I think if I buy this business, I can raise the prices. And one of the questions I will ask is I'll say, well, who are their customers? Are their customers the price shoppers? Because if, if that's who they've catered to and that's the clientele they built, then raising the prices may be one of the worst things you can do. Victor just put a comment here just now. He says, what about the whole, the consumer owns your brand idea? How far does that go? And I think that's what we're getting at here is that, is that uh, the, the, the brand exists in the minds of the customer. I mean, heart, we, we can, the heart of the customer, the heart of the customer, we, we control the message we put out, but it's not necessarily what the business says. It's what people feel about it. Correct. Yeah. It, the business used to be, 
back when it was a broadcast media only. So whatever message the company broadcast out, the company told you what to think about the company, period. Now it is a social media. So we tell each other what to think of that company. And if we're going to buy into the philosophy that branding is an emotional connection, then the consumer owns the brand 100% because it's the consumer's emotional connection. It's their emotions. So if you are authentically being you and, and you're living in that truth, like whoever you are, that's who you are. And you have identified the target audience that you're in a relationship with and you're giving them what they need the way they need it, you're going to be fine. But at mm -hmm. any point along the way that you've managed to screw that up, you've got some work to do to fix it. Yeah. Great, great comments. Jackie, this has been a great conversation all about branding and small business. And I want to thank the people that have been watching that have tuned in with their questions and comments. Um, what if, if someone out here owns a small business, and I know you have this agency and you've worked with with things like uh, Marriott hotels and stuff. What what are some of the ways that people can up their game in this branding world in the world of small business without necessarily having the kinds of budgets that obviously someone like Marriott would have? Sure. Um I feel like the first thing that anybody ever needs to do, no matter what phase of business they're in, is commit to being a lifelong learner. Um, our industry is changing so rapidly that if even if you were just recently in college, it has changed since you got out. Mm. Like if you were in class earlier today, it has changed since you got out. So how are you going to stay on top of, and I, this isn't about being trendy. This is about being on top of change. Uh, yeah. Because our industry are change agents right now, and we are being um, having to adapt with those changes. So commit to being a lifelong learner. If you want to understand LinkedIn better than anyone, take the LinkedIn learning classes that LinkedIn provides. If you know that you've really got to do some work on your target audience segmentation, then you need to be doing a lot of research and learning around who that target audience is, who do they see as the competition, how are you going to stand out in that mix? Um my personal favorite place to go to learn ongoing how to continue to be a better brander and a better marketer is Brand State U. Uh, we identified as our agency grew out of the small business market and started working with more and more mid-sized businesses that there was a, a void. And so Brand State U became a way for people to have professional guidance, but not um, have a full service agency. So it's like mm -hmm. this middle ground where you get to do it for yourself but not on your own. And so I think yeah. that's a really nice blend there. So it's brandstateu.com. Sort, of, sort of a done with you kind of producting segment. Exactly. The, yeah, for those smaller businesses. That's great. And and can you can you tell us maybe a story or two of some of the companies that have used that sort of how they've made a change or evolution and what the results might have been? Sure. What we're seeing is is there's two kinds, two types of companies that are coming through. Um, one is a company that um, came through um, just about a year and a half ago, maybe. And they took plan to brand, which is an eight week or eight module. You can do it in hours, days, weeks, or months. It's self-paced. Uh, but we think of it as eight week, uh, branding boot camp, And it goes through all of those steps of focus, promise, connection, harmony. And when you're done, you've built this entire plan. And so they are a professional services company. Um, they are based in the Midwest and they've really been struggling. And so going through it, and there's a lot of check-ins along the way, a lot of feedback. Well, I, I asked him after six months, you know, how's it going? And they said, it all seems so much easier now. I was like, okay. Checked in six months later. 
Well, now their sales are growing. And it was crazy to hear them say, we don't even know why. It's like all of a sudden. And I said, was well, it all of a sudden because you're marketing better? Is that maybe why? Um, and then uh, other companies, and um, I'm thinking of recently of an um, IT company that came in and started with the Brand State U membership. And so they are getting ongoing monthly, instead of doing the eight-week brand builder, um, they're doing monthly classes. So every month there's another class dropped to them, another set of workbook and guides. Um, and we, we're talking $79 a month. This isn't high price, right? Yeah. And so they said that all of a sudden, they, as a team, they were working on these exercises together and realizing that the accounting department, when asked who's our best client, had a different answer than the service department who had a different answer than the sales department, who had a different answer than the president. And so they did not appreciate how disconnected they were on who their best customers were and what made a best customer because they came to it with their own um, biases of their departments. And so that was really instrumental for them to get on the same page and start working together towards the, these are the kinds of companies we want to get. And this is who we need to go get and how we need to go get them. Well, you know, I, I think that the, the comment you made about how they, they said all of a sudden, and we don't realize why, you know, uh, branding and marketing is a longer term game than for example, putting out a coupon with a discount. Right? Correct. You know, you, you you put out a coupon with a discount and you get uh, 50 phone calls. You're like, oh, that advertisement worked. Now, just because you saw a result that you could immediately attribute to it. Correct. Now, did it work? Well, it got some cash flow. It got some sales made, but all at lower margin than normal because you discounted yourself. Right. right. And so, so is that healthy long term? Well, no. maybe not. Probably no, 100%, not. 100 percent. Right? No. Add and, the, yeah. Ask Bed Bath & Beyond. Ask Circuit City, ask anybody who's played the I'm going to discount myself into bankruptcy game. That is not how you build a brand that might work to get cash flow today. But those are not the customers you want tomorrow. Yeah. You want a transactional relationship, a transactional customer or a relational customer. All good businesses will tell you they want relational customers because then I will drive past a place with a coupon to come to you. I will have loyalty to shop with you. I will tell my friends about how great you are. You will be my choice when we have a relationship. Um, if it's transactional, I'll drop you as soon as the next guy comes along, Amazon, that's a little bit less expensive. But but what it requires is this commitment to a long-term game. Correct. And, and unless you have a plan and you're sitting back and thinking about the strategy of your business and what you're trying to achieve long-term, uh, it's tough. Um, and one of the things that we talk about a lot on this channel and, and I speak to quite often with people that uh, that I'm working with is if uh, if you're a business owner and you're working in your business and you're spending all of your time sort of doing the activities of managing, you know, uh, it's hard to take those breaks and really st- sit back and think about these long term strategic things, in particular, that customer journey. That's it's something I often start with when I'm talking with clients is, you know, what is the customer journey? Who are these people and where do they hang out and how do you talk their language and that kind of stuff? And it really amazes me how so many business owners don't quite know all that much about who's buying their product and service. No, they don't. And sometimes they can give us some broad things like, oh, well, we sell to women 25 to 54. Well, 
great. I know a lot of women who are between the ages of 25 to 54. Let me tell you about how not alike they are. Uh, 25-year-old women are you know, getting out of college, starting mm -hmm. careers, maybe starting to think about settling down and marrying. 54-year-old women are welcoming grandchildren. So opposite ends of the spectrum in their yeah. careers, in their lives, in their marriages. They may be on the second or third one in their child rearing. You know, so uh, don't tell me because I'm a media buyer. I appreciate a good demographic profile as much as the next person. But OK, where um, where are you going to reach them from a marketing standpoint? Let's say most 25 to 50 year old women watch Grey's Anatomy. Sure, I'll give you that. Uh, the 54-year-old is going to watch it as it airs on ABC on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. The 25-year-old is going to be watching it on Netflix, and they're seven seasons back because the show started when they were in diapers. So you have to get deeper than that. It cannot be about demographics alone. It's got to be about psychographics. To your point about McDonald's becoming a part of the community, the reason why they're supporting local soccer and local little league and all those local things is not because of a demographic profile. It's because of a psychographic profile that says those people, when they spend a lot of time at the ballpark, are not at home cooking. So they're going to have to grab a bite on the way to the park or on the way out of the park. And so if we've placed our restaurant appropriately and our signage appropriately, and we're going to connect for them that we are there on the way in or on the way out stop. And it ties in together with family and family activity and that absolutely. whole mindset around that stuff. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Jackie, if, if people are interested in uh, brand state, you or getting a hold of you, what, uh, what are the best ways to reach out? and, and get I'll tell you all the things. So brand state, you, like university.com um, is where you can go to read about a lot of classes that you can take um, ongoing resources, materials, all the good stuff. And um, you know, there's some free, free resources and free classes, monthly memberships, and then uh, plan to brand, which is going to hold your hand right through the strategic brand planning process. I'm a big fan of it. If you're in the state of Louisiana, by chance, uh, the state has um, listed it as so worthy that if you have less than 50 employees and you take you go through their uh, checklist, uh, then they'll reimburse you 100% for the cost because they want to train the workforce to be better at their jobs. Big fan. Um, then uh, for me personally, it's JackieRusso.com and on LinkedIn, I'm at JackieRusso and um, I'd be happy to engage. Awesome. And uh, for anyone who's uh, watching the replay or listening to the audio, I'm going to amend the show notes to include the links to those three spots. So it'll be easy for everyone to find. And I want to thank you for taking some time out today and uh, hanging out with us, Jackie. My pleasure, David. Thanks for having me. All right. Hang on one second. I'm going to say goodbye to everyone. We're going to wrap this up. And uh, thanks everyone for joining us live. It's always a, a lot of fun to have a guest in and have some meaningful conversations about business from people who have experience and have done things. And uh, I want to thank you all. Please don't forget to hit the like button. Uh, give it a share. Share the video on another platform. That's always a big help to the algorithm. Let's it know that things are, are worthy of people's attention. And with that, I'll say see you later. And we'll talk to you all next time. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Go over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and courses that I've prepared for you. 
You can find out how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, and more. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go to Mark Willis at Lake Growth Financial, today's video sponsor. Mark helps people better manage their personal and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and I've seen others use it successfully for years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find all the interviews I've done with Mark and learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up for a free consultation to learn what this solution might look like for you.